Terry Show. The Terry Show. Don't ask if he's single, you already know. Cause it's the Terry Show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Terry Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Terran Show. I'm back. I, I spoke with Melissa Denny last week, and we had an awesome conversation, but uh, I have another very special guest for you today. Uh, I have Aubrey Brocco, a two-time Survivor player who came in second place her first time around, losing in the jury vote. Uh, so there's plenty to go through here with Aubrey. Very, very excited to be talking to her. Uh, is that how you pronounce your last name? I'm sorry. No, you got it right. Okay. You nailed it. Nobody usually does. Uh, <laughs> Aubrey Brocco from Survivor Co-Wrong and Game Changers here with me. How are you doing, Aubrey? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Taryn. I'm excited. I'm excited to chat with you after our Big Brother conversation last week. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I thought you did a really great job. I mean, you got to spin gold out of the terror <laughs> that is this season. So it is kind of fun to poke fun at it. And it's just a little repetitive. It's like it's like a challenge to come up to talk about about the same things in many oh, ways. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it's uh... fun. Yeah, I uh, I do I do a daily update podcast, so I very much know what that is like. <laughs> yep, it's like what analogy can I use this today to talk about the same thing? Yeah, I think I'm just getting like more and more animated as time goes on. Just like whoa, I know, I, know. <laughs> I hear you. It's rough. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to start with I actually I read your bio on your, your, your old Survivor bio, and I saw that you mentioned this uh, lovely sounding woman, your grandmother, who sounds like a very entertaining character. And I was wondering, uh, like, who who was she, and what kind of influence did she have uh, on you growing up? Yeah, sure. So my grandmother was a big part of my inspiration in my Survivor tape. I made two of them. Uh, she was, and you ha mind you, some of these stories can be a little bit like Big Fish uh, because it's an <laughs> Italian family with a lot of storytelling, but she came from Italy when she was seven or eight. She didn't know any English and she got divorced when she was like 16. And for that reason, she wasn't able to marry my grandfather in the church, the Catholic church, from what I know. Uh, they, my dad grew up in Brooklyn, so it's a Brooklyn-Italian family all in one brownstone. But on the same day my grandparents got married, my dad's other cousin got like a dispensation from the Pope or something to marry another first cousin. So it was always this bizarre, crazy Italian dynamic, lovable, but that my grandmother had been divorced and she was kind of this woman before her time. And she worked at the New York Daily News, and she was the first woman of the year. So I have like a cartoon of her um, by a famous um, cartoonist. I think his name was something Gallo. I could be wrong, but I think it's that. But she worked with the union drivers. A lot of them spoke Yiddish, and she like learned how to speak Yiddish, this Italian woman, to help with the union drivers delivering newspapers. Uh, she's crazy. She told me she was allergic to people when I was like eight years old. <laughs> And I, th I thought that was real. And I, I guess it was kind of a good, <laughs> I mean, I went on Survivor and I can say I'm allergic to certain kinds of people now too. Yeah, there you go. So I get what she meant. Uh, she, she was just an awesome woman. She took care of everyone. She was kind of scatterbrained and a little kooky in the most lovable way. I'm trying to think of stories. She told me that when she died, she wanted on the tombstone, here lies S-H-I-T, and I'm like, you're nuts. But she was just like 
kind of a dark sense of humor. And there are crazy stories of how she got like in a car accident. And my dad would say she had her entire forehead sliced to the point where she thought she went blind in the accident because her skin flapped over her eyes. (laughs) Right? And got all these stitches and went to work the next day. Oh, of course. She had a mastectomy when she had breast cancer. She went to work the next day. (laughs) She was in a bathroom stall and someone stole her purse from under the stall and she came out half naked to chase the person. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's the story. But she was this wacky, strong woman who did a lot of stuff, dealt with a lot of stuff in the Italian politics, all in a brownstone, Uh, lost a child. My dad lost his brother when my dad was very young. Uh, My dad was very sick when he was young. And my grandmother just kind of held everything together, like an underappreciated woman who was kind of the head of her alliance, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. She was super cool. Crazy. Madeline Bracco. She was a good one. How how involved was she in, in your life when you were a kid? She was, we'd see her every holiday. I'd go stay with her. She lived in New Hampshire where I grew up um, when I was a little kid. She lived with a friend also from Italy. And we'd go over there all the time. So she was very involved. And she always just had crazy stories. And she was an excellent cook. People still talk about her food. My parents used to have these big uh, Christmas functions. And she made amazing uh, eggplant and meatballs with pinolis and raisins in them. Oh my. So, yeah, she had a secret touch, but she she was very cool and I she's special to me too cuz I actually watched her decline as a kid. She had Alzheimer's for 8 years, which is like a long time to have it. Mm. And I kind of saw her go downhill, but we always had a very special connection. Uh so she was always really important to me and yeah, just one of those people that's kind of a sparkle and it's kind of a loss when they go, but she's always kind of my inspiration to be strong. Yeah, I mean, and it must have been hard, especially as a kid, to to watch her go through, uh, you know, having Alzheimer's. Like, did, did you understand what was happening? Yeah, I think I remember I was in sixth grade and my my aunt, my grandmother's daughter, called. It was like on my birthday, I think, remember, and saying that she could tell, like, we need to get this taken care of. It's more than just the, like leaving the keys in the refrigerator kind of thing. Because <laughs> yeah. we can be a little scatterbrained uh, in my family. So yeah, it, it was tough. Uh, but my family, I don't really like to talk about it, especially not in the context of Survivor, because I think sometimes on that show, I have vivid memories of people sitting around and someone talking about something in their family that was hard, and then everybody would start. And it's like, all right, guys, everybody's been through something. Mm. <laughs> and I would always hate how that stuff would come up. But I had... I had a few relatives close to me kind of go through illnesses when I was a kid. And it was especially hard to see that one. But I was glad that I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always tried to see that. Wow. We really kind of started on a downer. But yeah, I've always (laughs) I kind of came out like a little adult. Like I always was calling my parents Pat and Helene. Like I have family videos and I'm like, Helene, (laughs) get the shopping cart. And she's like, you're five. Why are you calling me Helene? So I guess I've always kind of been like this little old soul, but in that's why I'm always attracted to older people. I think that's what drew me to Joe the first time oh. I played Survivor. I think in a way that's what drew me to Ty. I think Ty is a very old soul. So I've always kind of been like the old, I want to say old people, sorry, Joe, <laughs> the older people collector. And I always kind of seek those people out in my life. So I think that's kind of why I had a bond with her. And I kind of understood that she understood what she was going through. So 
Yeah, I just like older people. Yeah, I think I I think I found a similar thing when I was a kid. I always really? felt, uh, yeah, like uh, I I'm pretty sure that I've been called an old man a few times uh, by a few of my friends. Um, like you prefer the adult table to the kids' table, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I was never yeah like I I never liked uh, you know I was never into all the stuff that everyone else was into. I was like I wanted to like be reading or something boring. <laughs> I'm still no, pretty boring. I know. Who wants <laughs> to sit over there? And like my parents raised me with like good music growing up like paul simon and the beatles like sergeant pepper was my first on my disc man yeah so i just was always kind of yeah i kind of always just knew what was going on i'm not saying that in kind of a i know everything way but i was just very aware and curious so i think that's part of it too so i feel you on that yeah revolver was my jam Ooh, um, yeah. good one. Uh, so, uh, so what what did you want to do back then when you were a kid? Like, what what were you thinking in terms of like what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? So, this is going to sound weird. I remember in kindergarten when they say, "My name is blank. I am blank years old. My mom is blank years old." And then the kids put like, "My mom is sixteen," and you're like, "No, yeah. she's not. You don't know what you're talking about." But my mom the- is ninety. Three. <laughs> I know it's so, it's so cute. I love to see what kids what kids write in those things. But I remember distinctly that I put I wanted to work at the grocery store because I really liked the beeping on the belt and <laughs> yes. like the methodical boop boop. I don't know what it was. I still get satisfaction. I love the self checkout line for that very reason uh, now. But I went through your stereotypical marine biologist, paleontologist because of Jurassic Park. Thank you very much. <laughs> Which my parents brought us to the theater when we were way too young. I feel like I say tell the story all the time, but I remember my sister was like four. When did that come out? Like 1993? Sounds right. Yeah, my sister was four and we're in Jurassic Park, but I really liked the dinosaur. She was terrified. But I very early on, I wanted to be a journalist because I was curious. I think it kind of became clear that I liked to talk to people and make connections with people and kind of figure out why the way they why they are the way they are and kind of dig into that. So that was kind of the first thing in college that when I had a summer to do an internship, I hopped right into the paper journalism, which was a great industry to hop into. Lots of jobs. (laughs) That's actually funny. I think I did like a very brief internship at a newspaper and I I thought it was the worst thing ever. No, it was like a job shadowing thing. I was there for like a day or two. um, And they just had me like read things and like proof them or something i don't remember but it was, awful. it was an awful experience yeah yes you're editing oh yeah that can be kind of a drag you need to do the reporting that's oh, you yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll see uh i i thought i thought more of like a psychologist that was my thought mm. when i was uh when i was in high school um that makes sense i've always kind of liked that too it's a similar yeah. kind of thing yeah it's exactly similar. like getting like getting to understand people and the thing that turned me off from uh being a psychologist was like all the schooling and like having to pay for all of that so now i'm doing podcasting psychology (laughs) hey you never know where it will lead you and i i mean i'm similar like that too i like media i like to talk to people and it's funny how things overlap like i've told denise stapley i i text her occasionally i love her And I was like, Denise, how do I combine journalism and psychology? She's like, you can figure it out. You can figure it out. But they kind of do. They're similar in some ways. But I think it's also the format you do it in. So my first internship was a very small paper in New Hampshire with a lot of personality. And I really like those small companies where you can kind of create the voice and make the voice sing. So that was my jam. I went, I did skydiving and did a story on it. I Yeah, I talked to all these like 
old people in good old New Hampshire. One of my best friends is like an 85-year-old World War II vet who was like the history keeper of Hampton, New Hampshire. And I love stories like that. So, Oh, that, I mean, that sounds like a really fun internship experience. I, that, I, I wish I had something that fun. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. I got lucky on that one. So yeah, did that really feel like like that's what formed your idea of what you wanted to do from then on because it was so good and like you felt like I want to recreate this somehow? Yeah, so I think as you were kind of talking about how you find your way from the journalism to the psychology, I try to keep an open mind that everything's a stepping stone. There is no ultimate job that's perfect for anyone. And I kind of sussed out through each experience, different things I liked. So from the Atlantic News in Hampton, New Hampshire, I worked at Seacoast Media Group, which was the newspaper in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I did more hard news, like if there was a drug bust or like a ZBA, a zoning board meeting, I would sit there at meetings. And I loved sitting around, being quiet and listening and staying late. And one of my favorite stories when I was working at Seacoast Media Group, I was in Hampton Falls, my hometown, and 78-year-old John Parker, who lived on Evergreen Road, came in and was upset that in the town report of a town of like 3,000, they had left out the ancient meeting notes. So what they would do is they would print notes from a town meeting 200 years prior every year. And to save like 15 bucks, they cut it from the book that year. And he came in and he wrote in like Hawthorne style English, how his relatives were witches in Salem and they were going to come and curse thy, take thy wagon wheels off thy wagons in the midst of the marsh. And thy souls of thy relatives will come and curse the town selectmen if they do not restore the meeting notes to their rightful place. And it was like this amazing story of this guy who spent this time typing, like actual typewriter, about his relatives. And I loved sitting around and getting stories like that. And then I ended up doing online journalism. And that led me to Salem, Massachusetts, where I started the first patch newspaper for that crazy city. I got sprayed by a fire hose on my first day. I had a witch threaten to ruin my career going door to door, <laughs> telling everyone how horrible I was. Oh my God. Not a joke. I had a police report with this witch who hated me because it was Christmas Eve and we had an article about how Wiccans and pagans celebrate Christmas. And it was a really nice feature and I'm not an expert. And I was like very careful that my freelancer had written it in a nice way. But this guy got in a fight with another witch business owner because the witches fight each other in Salem because it's actually a business. It's kind of weird. It's like they have a festival the entire month of October for what essentially was a mini Holocaust. So take that what you will. It's a little <laughs> warped. But he got in a fight with another witch business owner in the comments. And at that point, I didn't have a way of deleting them. It was like when commenting was first big online. So here I am Christmas Eve trying to manage this witch and this other witch. And then that led me to community management and social media, which is moderating comments. So it all kind of comes together. That's a long-winded answer with anecdotes of some things I've done. But in short, it's just a journey and you figure out what you like of each part. And I like creating communities and telling stories. That's my thing. I'm a storyteller. That's what I do. <laughs> um, this might sound crazy, but I think so. Seacoast Media Group in Portsmouth, 
Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That might have been the place where I went. It's like uh, I looked it up on Google Maps, and it looks relatively close to where I think I went uh, in Portsmouth when I did my job shadowing. Are you kidding me? Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, unless there are other Portsmouth newspapers Mm-mm. that are in this area. Yeah, it was probably that then. It's like on the Air Force Base. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. What year? <laughs> oh, wow. This must have been... Um, Maybe like junior year of high school, so like uh, 2009-ish. Okay, that's when I was writing there. <laughs> no <laughs> I was a freelancer, though. That's really, really weird. Okay, offline, we're going to have to figure out like who you worked with. <laughs> I'm really nosy now. Wow, I, I'm going to have to try and do my best to remember. I'm really that's bad at really remembering That's really funny. Things. Okay, you probably copy edited my articles. I may, maybe. <laughs> Are you an Oxford comma person? Did uh, you ruin my story with the Oxford comma? <laughs> I don't know. I might have. I don't know. Um, okay, so uh, sorry to anyone who is not from Portsmouth and doesn't care about any of this. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's crazy. Like, uh, I was just thinking the whole time, like, I can't believe that she might have worked at this place. Um, so you kind of like gradually evolved to this, uh, this like community management. Is that really where you saw yourself going? Is that where you feel like you should have gone? Or do you feel like that was sort of a departure from your initial idea of what you wanted to do? I think that in some ways it's what I wanted to do. In other ways, it was a departure. So I did community management and then I worked on really cool brands. I wrote for NFL players. Actually, I wrote tweets for Aaron Hernandez Uh when I worked at an agency, which isn't really like a fun uh, coffee table conversation, (laughs) party conversation now, given what's happened. But I like doing social media, creative social media, where you are super creative and you're telling a story. And I think that the community management part of it helps because if you are creating content online just to be a billboard, like, here's my brand, here's my message, like, people don't care. They know that you're using it like ticker tape advertising with Mm -hmm. no interaction. The whole point of social media content is that you want people to engage with it. So I think having this experience with community has helped me learn how to create better content in short form for the web where people will actually engage with it. Because if people don't care, what's the point? And I think a lot of businesses get stuck with like the analytics. Did you meet the business goals? Did you meet the business goals? And yes, that is super important. But what are the brands people love on social media? They're the ones that have a personality. Like people love Wendy's. People love airlines that actually do something about the fact that you've been chopped off of nine flights. <laughs> so I think it kind of helped. Like it's kind of been a like quilted all together, but I think it's helped. It's, it's a departure, but it's not, if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did Survivor fit into all this? Did you, uh, were you always a fan? Yes. I remember watching the show in 2000, I think halfway through the first season. Did you start watching in the first season? Yeah, yeah. I I, I remember barely any of it because I was very young, but I remembered that there was an old naked guy and I remember there was somebody yelling, count your chickens before they hatch. Yes, that's what I remember <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> it's Greg. I love Greg. He's like yes. my favorite. And they had they had raincoats, I think. And I love when people say like, it's not hard now. I'm like, they had raincoats on season <laughs> one. All right. I don't want to hear it. But I remember Greg and Colleen and of course, Rudy. And then they had to like hold the pole. And I vividly remember that. I loved it. My friend got me a book for my birthday, like the Survivor book. Watched Australia, Africa. I loved Ethan, which is cool. I finally got to meet him a couple months ago. Oh. And then I kind of like fell out during college a little bit. 
But then I binge watched Kagayan and I had toyed with applying in 2012. And then I'd moved to New York to take that social media agency job I mentioned. And I was just like, eh, it's not the time. But when is ever the right time? So I saw Kagayan, I saw Tony and Spencer, and I saw something in them that like, really kind of spoke to me. And Trish, I loved Trish. And I really loved Sarah too. I love them all. That was a great season. And I decided to pop in a tape in 2014 and it worked. It was crazy. <laughs> On my first try, I got super lucky. So I, I, at one point I said to myself, I'd love to play Survivor before I'm 30, but like, I'm just dreaming. That's never going to happen. <laughs> I don't like to get my expectations up ever, uh, which has probably helped me. Yeah. With everything that's happened in Survivor. So, yeah, I guess it was it kind of got on my radar a couple of years ago and then it happened and it was like, wow, I can't believe this happened. Yeah, well, I like uh, I think a few of the people that have that have come on this show have sort of they really went on Big Brother because they felt like they had no direction and they felt like Big Brother might give them some kind of direction. Jordan in particular. Did you, did you feel like it was uh, a little bit of that or did you feel like... Um, I think it's a common thing though. Like I definitely yeah. was at my job at the time and I was kind of in a role that I really appreciated the experience, but it wasn't really true to the creative part of me. And mm -hmm. the creative part of me is very important. Like if I'm not... be, I have to be creative. That's like my one requirement on a daily basis. It's like therapy for me. So... Yeah, it was just like the right time. I wasn't quite sure I was going to turn 30 in a couple of years and I just needed to switch it up. So it seems like the right time. But don't ever say that. Like they do not want to hear if you go into audition that you're not happy where you are in life at that <laughs> point. Like do not do that. Do not say, oh, Lynn, like I'm bored. Lynn, I'm not happy with my life. No, nope, nope, nope. Don't do that. Yeah, well, I mean, so, that, it's like uh, just like a like a job. Uh, interview like you're not you don't want to be like I'm looking for direction in my life so I'm hoping that you'll hire me <laughs> no don't do that <laughs> oh man um all right so you know you you apply you get on I mean that must have been very like it must have been very uh overwhelming that it happened so quickly I mean it happened so quickly the casting part didn't happen so quickly and that's my panic attack that I had on day two I'd never had one before and never had one after probably started like in casting, I was so wound up. I wanted it to work. I was like obsessive about getting on the show. It finally happened. And yeah, it was super overwhelming. You get on this plane with people and you're dropped in the middle of this country. And like now I think back of like little things that happened on the plane that are so funny. Like Peter lost his ticket on the plane to China because we did China to Cambodia. And I was like, oh, good. You lost your ticket. One down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had known from casting that I I didn't really like him. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a weird interaction with him and Liz in the hot tub. And I was kind of skeptical because I already saw them as a duo, like all the way back to that. So like that. And then we got to China and there's nothing to eat in the airport, like at all. Not a thing to eat except for like candy and chicken feet, like pickled <laughs> chicken feet. And I remember seeing Michelle and she just gave me a look like, okay. And then like Jenny doing handstands or like stretching because she was so antsy. Like it's so weird to think about it now. Like this was before this adventure started. Now I know these people. And then like 
all these crazy things that like you were so perceptive because you were so overwhelmed and couldn't use your voice of like all these little nuggets of things happening. Like Sydney wouldn't move for like eight hours. She wouldn't go to the bathroom. She would sit there with a book. And I was like, I like this girl. She can stay focused. But yeah, I'm deviating from your question. But like, yeah, it's super overwhelming. You're sitting there without a voice and you're around a bunch of crazy people. Well, no, I mean, that's interesting. You know, I and I've uh, we actually we just put out the the first episode of the uh, the Survivor 35 preseason podcast yes. that uh, Josh Wiggler did. And so I, you know, I listened to all of the uh, the interviews and it's crazy just how like how much these people are overthinking in terms of like they have such little information, which gives them like all the ability in the world to overanalyze like the smallest detail about every single person. And they have these identities for them built up in their heads because they have nothing else to do. Uh, and it's like that period of time for me would be like the hardest thing oh, I think in the entire. Terrible. Yeah. Because it's like the worst, the worst time for me is like right before a podcast or right before I'm going to like go sing or something or like go, you know, perform and, and whatever. It's because like, I'm anticipating the thing actually starting. Like if I'm going to be play a game or anything, I too, like, uh, right before is always the, the hardest part. So I can only imagine being stuck there, not being able to talk. And it, it lasts for a while before you're like, well, like it actually gets going. Oh, it's totally insane. I'm actually right now trying to pull up for you. I had notes of my nicknames for people before the game started. <laughs> Hold on. I'm trying to find it for you. But yeah, I mean, you are sitting there and it's like you say, you're trying to get any bit of information. You don't know when the game is going to start. You have no clue who you're going to be with. I mean, some people said they picked it up, picked up on it. I had absolutely no concept of who I was going to be with. I just like didn't know. So you're sitting there and it's like anything you can get about of anybody. Are they finicky? Are they dapper? Are they like, what are they? It's, it's crazy. But let me see. This might be it for you. I have it like in code, in code probably. Oh, here it is. <laughs> do, do, do you care? Want me to share a couple of these? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I had awkward sauce wasn't on the show. Oh, this is actually Jay because I saw Jay in uh casting jay yeah. from millennials 33 yeah i wrote man mun man bun man yeah so i just had man done but I, <laughs> and man. then i said yeah i said were they how big of a threat were they what's their personality what's their dress how athletic are they physical threat weakness strength one of my favorites is neil i called him gautier slash curly sue <laughs> <laughs> and he is marked as a line, but danger quirky, smart. He's someone I want on my team at the beginning, but at the merge, I want him out Ugh. very perceptive, but careful to keep it cool. Quirky, but preppy also refined and down to earth, extremely polite. Mm, now I know now that's not true. <laughs> he wine drinker. He Neil drank wine at meals in uh, casting wine drinker, healthy eater, good cardio looks like a runner to me. Uh, and this was my favorite. He said, what was this? Weaknesses. I said, none. That's why he's a threat, but he doesn't seem to think that I am. Oh. Yep. This Weird. is hilarious. This is like uh, this is like our preseason cast assessments, only instead of reading bios and like watching interviews, it was like we had a live feed on them uh, as they did nothing for <laughs> like hours at a time. And we're trying to like come up with their personalities. Yeah. This one is different though. Anna, you could tell she's a poker player now. I said, New York glasses. Uh, she had glasses on and I remember she was reading a book about origami, secretly smart, hard to remember if she's the same person, oops, as Liz, uh, origami <laughs> book, 
This chick is secretly smart. Be wary of her. I feel like she's a New Yorker. Oh, oh my gosh. It's so uh, aggressive curls. I don't know. Gage Hipster. That was Jason. Old Italian dude was Joe. Platinum Lost Blonde. I don't know who that is. Uh, <laughs> Gossip Girl. Elle Woods. Oh, I called Michelle Country Cool. Oh. Someone to watch out for. Yeah. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> She's perp. She's purposeful. I would love or hate her. Oh man, this is really <laughs> weird. But anyway, oh, uh, that's that's great. That 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 period of time before the game starts always interests me because it must be such a surreal experience. And uh, I think we can tell just from those notes that it yeah, is. Yeah, it's very a very much- special time. It's special. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so you end up getting put on the Brains Tribe. Uh, how much did that, like, when you got put, did you feel like that that's the right fit? Like, that's how you see yourself? Like, I should be on the Brains Tribe? I was pissed. I was pissed. <laughs> I sound like Paul. Yeah. I did not want to be on the Brains Tribe. Like, to me, that was, and, uh, and that collared shirt. Uh, yeah, I... I may be brainy and nerdy in some ways, or maybe it's because where I'm from or a couple of the places I went to school, but I have never considered myself to be like, I'm in the brain group. Like that to me automatically is like a stigma of you think I'm better than you. And it's, that's not how I ever operate. Like I go through life. I don't care if you went to college, where you went to college. I think it's all in how you kind of work the circumstances life gives to you. So I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then when I met them, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I did not speak, Taryn. I was like a mute on that tribe because they, you see it. You see it in the premiere when they get off the boat. It's like, oh, Mr. President, Debbie. And then Liz is like, what's the square root of 195? I'm going to make a charcoal filter. She made a charcoal filter that Neil thought the idol was in and dumped it out. She made a bamboo pole that she tied together with twine to try to get coconuts 50 feet up and and debbie and they were just like talk all night and then it was like i have a high iq i have a higher iq than you i'm like you guys have no social skills wow (laughs) sorry i know that sounds super mean but i think i'm also sensitive about it because one of the arguments about my game is that i didn't have a social game and like if you met the rest of the brains in if you were on that beach, you would see that that is not true at all. <laughs> so would you say that you're uh, like if you could put yourself in any other tribe, <laughs> like like a categorical tribe, like uh, like maybe a no collar uh, or uh, I don't know, a healer hustler or a hero. Uh, is there one that you feel like is a better fit? No, I still would be on the brains tribe. <laughs> That's the thing. Because as much as I complain about them, that was my home. They were weirdos. Yeah. Well. Which it's so weird. It was more like I liked them. I loved them all individually, except for maybe Peter. And <laughs> sorry, Peter. I mean, eh, whatever. He kind of likes whatever. That's another story. Uh, but yeah, I liked them all individually. It was more how they were as a group. So mm-hmm. I think I probably was where I should have been. Like, I would love to be on the no-collar tribe. There's no way I would end up there. Like, I think Mama C kind of wanted to be on the no-collar tribe, or Nina was, but didn't feel at home there. I'm always, like, kind of in the middle. I was a floater in high school. I was mm. the captain of my varsity field hockey team, and I hung out in the music building. So there's no 
You can't categorize me. I'm going to be <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, ultimately, like sort of throughout the season, I think, uh, at least from my perspective, I think uh, the edit portrayed you as somebody who was a little bit out of your element at first, but then mm-hmm. sort of came into your own, took control of the game and ended up being the strategic sort of driver of the season. Is that how you saw your game as you were playing it? I'm somebody who likes to gather all the information I can when I'm in a new situation. And I think you really saw that manifest itself in like the worst possible way in the game where, yeah, when I started, I was all over the place. I just like with the anxiety and I didn't even realize that's what it was. I also didn't drink water that day because we hadn't had the fire going yet. And that certainly didn't help me. And you didn't trust the charcoal filter. Yeah, this is charcoal (laughs) filter. Yeah. Not in hell. Sorry, Liz. I love you now, but no, (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, Yeah. And I just, I did, I think I kind of picked up steam as I went. And when I had new options, like, I'm not going to lie, when I got swapped and I met like Ty and even Anna and some of the beauty girls, you could have like conversations, not about like, just about like what we were going through. I kind of found my feet, but I needed to find my feet and I did get stronger and I did once I could suss out who these people really were when they stopped the facade, that's when I felt comfortable, that I could use my intuition to, like, make stuff happen with them. But sometimes it took a little while. It took a little while. Like, with Ty, it took a little while for him to warm up. Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's part of what uh, the audience doesn't often see is, is the you have to slowly build these relationships uh, in order to, you know, have them mean anything. They're often like, why doesn't this person just quickly work with this person? But uh, it's, it's it, yeah, it's a lot more difficult than that, right? Yeah, you really can't. And like, I would say the example of I, all, I always hear about like the Nick vote. Like you see certain scenes like Nick came up to me and said, you better vote for Debbie like it's you or her. What was happening at that day was that Julia and Michelle are often known for like turning on Nick, but they came up and they wanted Jason out. So they wanted Jason out. And then I went, sorry, if I'm getting too gamey, tell me, but like this one is an interesting example of that. Like, so Nick talked to me, I went to Debbie and told what Nick said, and she's like, that's it. I want Nick out. And then the beauty girls came to me two minutes later and said, we want Jason out. And then I tried to go back to Debbie and I said, they want Jason out. She said, too late. I want Nick gone. Then I had Ty come to me, that one rogue vote that Ty had when Nick went home. Ty came to me and said, I want Jason out. Let's get the brains on board. And I never told him yes, but I decided to let him hang out to dry because I wanted Ty to progressively get further away from those guys and alienate himself from them. So like, yeah, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but there are so many like little detailed things of like that one rogue vote when you're like, oh, I don't understand why that person voted that way. There's thought behind that. And those are all little micro interactions that happen. Yeah. Well, like, do you, did you find it easier or more difficult to bond with these people, like, in the element of Survivor, with, which is not only the survival element, but the game element? Did you feel like you were making genuine connections? And did you feel like it was harder to do that or easier? I think I made connections that were too genuine. I yeah. think I get criticized for my social game. And my argument to that would be... I think it was easier. It was easy for me to be, I'm, it's very easy for me to be empathetic when someone is in a hard spot. And sometimes people gravitate to me because even though I can be a little kooky, there's like a, 
a steadiness in that I am not going to judge you for going through what you're going through. So I found it very easy to make genuine connections. And I think that's what ultimately bit me in the ass. So, or part of it, I did make mistakes. I've always said that I know I made mistakes, even though it, quite frankly, the arguments get vicious and polarizing and I'm over it at times. But like if I could sit people down who want to talk survivor and calmly say is that, if you think I didn't play a good social game, how was I able to strip Ty away from Scott Pollard? Yeah. And he didn't use the super idol. Like, I understood that Ty did not want to act in the way they were acting. I let him go hang himself with that Jason vote, which sounds horrible to say. I love you, Ty. <laughs> uh, and I waited for like two weeks until Ty was comfortable with me to make a move. And the night we made a move... We were able to make a move because I'd been cultivating a relationship with Ty in a way where he wouldn't feel pressured because I could see for weeks that Ty felt pressured. So I am there for people. I'm not someone who's going to try to strong arm you into doing anything. And especially in our season of Survivor, I found it very easy to make those genuine connections, maybe because we did have such polarizing, domineering people. Yeah. So I think that was also another reason why I was able to like be the other option for people. Right, yeah. Well, so you end up making it to the end. You you go to tr the final tribal council. Uh, people cast their votes. Ultimately, you uh, you come in second place uh, to mm -hmm. Michelle, uh, the, uh, what would you call her? Country... Uh, Country cool. <laughs> Country cool. assessment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, but uh, something that I've, I've been curious about in terms of like final tribal is, um, you know, you, you give these speeches, you, you get questioned by the jury, and then they cast their votes like what happens there like when when everything wraps like going like not not necessarily like what physically happens but emotionally are you just like thank god it's over or are you in dread because you don't know what the votes are or, or like what are you thinking in that moment i knew what the votes were for the most part there are a couple i wasn't sure about i knew i lost there was a vibe that i lost and then someone handed me a pack of almond m&ms <laughs> And then I was like, I don't want to see these people, especially don't want to see Scott. Um, it was kind of awful. Go back to Ponderosa. And I felt like I had tried to be in control of my emotions the entire time, which ultimately was a fault. Like Scott and Jason were very inflammatory characters. I am fine with them now. I love Jason now. Uh, like they poured water in the fire and hid the machete. And I never reacted to them. Because I was like, this is just a game. And I realize now I infuriated them more by not reacting to them because right. I think they just wanted attention. And I should have known that. But I also was trying to be that other option for people looking to jump ship. And I had to do that. Otherwise, I was on the bottom. But after being so in control in my reactions to them, we go back to Ponderosa. And Scott was telling this really crude joke that he told over and over and over and over and over again that wasn't really funny, in my opinion. Sorry, Scott, not really. Sorry at all. Uh, and I kind of beat him to the punchline. And he was like, Aubrey, why do you, da, 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 why'd you have to ruin my joke? And I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and then that night, everybody was drinking and I got upset. And I said to Scott, I was like, I wanted your advice. I really liked you. And I really did like Scott in the game. And I was like, why didn't you want to work with me? And he literally said to me, because you didn't do what I told you to do. And then the next morning, uh, I got really chippy and I definitely wasn't a sane person at that point. I mean, this is less, this is like 12 hours out of the game and we're eating and Scott says something about he's eating pancakes and drinking blue label or whatever. And he said, so did you get all the attention that you wanted? And he was like, 
I already got all the attention I wanted. I've made the big time baby or something about like referencing being a professional athlete. And like, I'm fine with Scott now. I mean, he came to my premiere party. I wish him the best. He's got a great family. He's a great family man. We just were like oil and water. And I feel like we kind of like took it out. I, I, I kind of took it out of out on him after it was all over, which probably wasn't very fair of me to do. But yeah, it kind of was like I, <laughs> I, I felt incredibly disrespected when he stood up and did the little wiggle dance or whatever. Like I never it's fine if Scott didn't respect the way I played, but the way he got up and like danced in my face, it's just not how I run my ship. I think we run our ships differently. And yeah. So it was mentally hard, and I was very frustrated with him for a while. But the biggest learning experience I've had from all of this is that you can't make people like you. And I beat myself up. Like, a lot of people say, you don't take responsibility. You lost. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I did lose. I lost. I lost that. No one else lost it for me. I understand what I did. But a big lesson was, like, if someone walks down the street and says to you, Taryn, I like your red pants, you could say, wow, I've got great taste. But in in essence, it has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with the other person. They like the red pants. You just happen to be wearing them. So yeah. when I was upset about people not liking me, I had to come to terms with the fact of like, all right, that's life. You can't make everybody like you. Well, so, 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 so fair to say that you, you were in a pretty like dark place after knowing that you had lost. If you could tell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, was that, um, did you think that came from, like the losing, like like uh, thinking that you were probably like maybe had a chance to win and then you lost and you came so close. Or was it the fact that you felt like these people didn't like you? Did Was that the thing that really stung or was it the combination of the, of both? It was me beating myself up for my own actions. I mean, I knew I shouldn't have crossed out that vote, which was not for TV. It was a genuine Joe moment. If he's like, I thought we decided on Julia. I'm like, are you referencing the conversation you had with Scott or the conversation he had with me? Like, it was a genuine, like, what's the plan, Keith Nail moment. Like, I knew that was a mistake. I knew that, yeah, I hadn't talked to Jason and Scott, but I really felt like if I talked to them, I was going to be out because I wasn't establishing myself as different than them. And that was the best play I had in that moment. I beat myself up a lot for the Jason and Michelle vote. But at that moment in the game, Jason was the bigger threat. He had more jury votes at that point. He was an amazing speaker. He's incredibly charismatic. He's a wonderful family man. And as much as Jason's farts smelled and he was annoying... <laughs> In moments, he's a wonderful guy and people liked him. And Michelle had been very quiet in the game up into that point. So like I it was because I was in a dark place because I beat myself up and I second guessed everything and every pause and every intonation and everything I did. I didn't blame them for doing it. I blame myself. Did it suck to feel like people didn't like me? Yeah, that was the secondary reason, though. I'm an, achie I'm an achiever. Like I like to work hard and do the best I can. I'm very competitive with myself. And I blame myself first, which isn't exactly the most adaptive trait at times. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it's, I've always sort of felt that, you know, obviously, like the first person out, they have a lot to deal with in terms of the game. But I feel like the runner up is is one of the worst places to lose, right? Because it's you get so far and you come so close. And it, it, I, I can't imagine like what you must have been going through. Uh, just like, did you did you feel like you were going to win before that happened? I never feel when I feel confident about something, I assume it's not going to happen. Yeah. Which is a really bad. 
you could say I'm a pessimist, but I'm, I was just talking to another Survivor player a couple of days ago when we were talking about how we're like, where he was saying he's like an optimistic pessimist or a pessimistic optimist. I forgot what it was, but I remember being like, wow, like I, and I wish this was in here, but like they can't have everything I understand. But I talked about how I played different roles in the game. I talked about how I was the spark that came up with ideas to make things happen. Like I was on the Debbie vote. Uh, like I said, hey, why don't we just go for Debbie? That happened. I was the glue that brought people together. So I was very much the person who uh, brought people together on the Nick vote in that I was, we needed the brains votes to get out Nick. And then I also talked about the whole thing with Scott about how I like actively recruited people and made the whole plan happen. Like I had, I was very methodical about how I did it. And it just, I forget what you asked. I'm rambling now. I'm sorry, but it just sucked because I was thinking constantly the, the whole time and I thought I could win and I went in there and the second I stepped in there, I knew I was toast. Did you feel, I mean, it must've felt like the floor just like fell out from under you. Like all it of was a sudden. terrible. It was terrible. Like the first question was Nick and I felt like I nailed it. It was like my speech. And then from there it was like, okay, this, is not a happy crew. And to me, like, I, I did have a hard time after where I was like, was I that horrible to these people? Like, I'm a horrible person. Like, oh my gosh, I treated them horribly. But like, in a lot of other seasons of Survivor, how I treated people was probably like nicer than a lot of seasons. So it was just like, we had a very interesting season with very polarizing personalities. And I think Michelle brilliantly played the knowing that in a season of polarizing personalities and egos, sometimes the best way to be is kind of neutral and not threaten people's egos. Like she played it brilliantly. And I'm not saying that as like a backhanded compliment. Like she really knew how to maneuver that difficult group of people at the end. And I will always beat myself up that I didn't. But in a lot of ways, I am not sure what else I could have done. I feel like in a lot of these seasons and in, in these kinds of games, a lot of it comes down to chance. And if you're given a different cast, maybe you are able to win a jury vote, but maybe you're also not able to get to the end. And like, who knows? Like, it, you know, so much of it can come down to gameplay. But I think people forget how much just comes down to luck, including the jury vote. It is. It's a lot of luck. Uh, so, I mean, so clearly, you know, you're, you, you, you go through this thing and, and you're in this dark place. And then you, on top of all of that, you have this sort of unique experience where now you have to wait, not the usual time that you wait. Like usually, you know, you, you lose Survivor and it's like, all right, now I have to wait until it airs before <laughs> I deal with this big thing where everyone gets to see that I lost. But you had a, an even longer time to wait. It was over a year before the finale airs after you finished wrapping up, right? Yep. Yep, it was. It was a long year. It was a long year. It was hard. Uh, but I did ultimately get to a very positive place about it. I, yeah, it was tough. I mean, the cast is always in communication. I mean, that's, I think there should be a show about after Survivor. Like, the <laughs> stuff that goes on is so crazy. Like, we thought there could have been a tie. Like, Jason and Scott tried to convince us that they had tied Michelle and I. And that, like, a vote, one vote had gone to tie and three to Michelle and three to me. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it was hard and you're interacting with people and you're talking to people as you like come to terms with like, okay, now I can talk to you. There are a couple people, there's, 
Actually, there are two people on that cast I've never spoken to about the votes, uh, and I will leave it that way. But yeah, and then you have people talking about how they voted and are they telling you the truth? And then the funny thing about Survivor that you don't really see is that in the time that you wait, the castmates are sitting there obsessing over their edit. Mm -hmm. They are sitting there and there's this tendency to have a revisionist history because everybody is the center of their own universe, like Copernicus or whatever that <laughs> astrologer guy was. And so you start hearing these narratives where you're like, hmm, that didn't happen. Burp, in the words of Sydney. <laughs> like, no, that didn't happen. And so it's like this weird anxiety brewing of what are they going to show? What are they going to show? Because, I mean, three days of your life is 43 minutes on screen. And I feel very lucky that everything I saw was very true to me. I mean, it, that's what happened. But I was also spoiled. Like, I was a narrator of that season. Uh, my good luck that was enough to get me out of being voted out as well as my bad luck that always kind of put me a step behind when I was finally starting to get traction. Like I had the opportunity to narrate that and I feel very lucky for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, I, for me, I think the hardest part would be, you know, and I talked about this with, with Jordan as well, where it's like, you know, you get out of survivor and, and you just described it. Like, it sounds like you're kind of in this, this bubble of survivor and, and this, the cast and you're talking, you're able to talk to the cast about what happened, but obviously you're not really able to talk to anyone else about what happened out there and nobody else can really understand what happened out there. And so it must feel like such a burden to have this, this secret in, in many ways that you're not really fully able to express or get over. I didn't tell anybody. I went back to work. They, I made them promise they'd give me my job back. I didn't tell them why I was leaving. I said I had the opportunity of a lifetime, and I went back, and everybody wanted to know, where did you go? Where did you go? And I wouldn't tell them. And my friends who then found out said, we need to have a shirt that says, hashtag Team Aubrey, and on the back, I don't know what you're talking about, because I wouldn't tell people. <laughs> And as people would find spoilers online, they'd come running to me and I'm like, you're not getting anything from me. So yeah, it was tough. I mean, I got so used to waiting and living in this like state that it be that I always was dreading when people would get to the end and be like, if they would say, and they ended up saying, oh my gosh, you're going to win. Like I cringed thinking about that being a possibility. Mm -hmm. And when it happened at that point, I was like, Oh, we'll see. Like I was, I just spent so much time thinking about it that by the time it was over, like the most relief I've ever felt was when I was sitting there and Jeff read those votes and I'm like, just do it, Jeff. Like <laughs> make it end. I'm over it. Like it's time to move on to something else. So yeah, waiting. I will say like sometimes now when I see like a line, I'm like, I've done my waiting. I don't want to wait. <laughs> don't make me wait again. I, but yeah, I mean, it, it must have felt like like in many ways that you were like in purgatory, just like, like I, did it could did it feel like you could get back to regular life or that there was this thing looming over you the whole time? No, you can't get back to regular life. I know it seems so stupid, like it is a show, but like Survivor really affects people, like really affects people. And you come back and your loved ones are like, you're not quite you're not quite the person you were when you left because you're going through all this stuff. You seem like the shell of the person that you kind of were, and you can't quite go back. Like, I still have dreams about Survivor. I have dreams about Survivor with that people in my real life are in Survivor. I have dreams about Survivor, and Survivors I didn't play with are in the game I'm playing. Like, I still do. And I dreamt about that final tribal a lot, and that's that's not fun. That's not fun at all. Mm. Uh, it helped to go back to work. 
the relationships on the show both hurt and helped. And then it was really cathartic when it aired. Um, it was. I mean, I quickly learned how to deal with, like, people will always think that they know what was happening. Like, my favorite thing is that people, the whole thing about how I got saved when Neil went out. You know what? That's possible. But I also was told that he was being so arrogant that day and was saying he wasn't going to play it. So they were going to blindside him. So who will ever know? Uh, and you learn to just, like, take people's opinions and let it roll off your back. But, yep, it's a whole lot of waiting. It's a whole lot of – and then the social media thing is a whole other thing. I was, like, policing – like, there's – I was, like, policing people, like, who didn't know how to use DM and thought they were DMing. And it was public and, like, people trying to catfish Sydney and use it. Like, she wasn't even on social she was like a quiet one and people were like making accounts and trying to get spoilers from other people with the little bits of info they had. And I was like reporting them to Twitter. So it's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of self-policing with your cast. And then when it finally airs, it's like, oh, what? It's on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not, not, not only do you have to wait all this time but then it does finally air and it is one of the more controversial endings to a season that you are an integral part of and i mean it's it's i i mean you mentioned that it was cathartic and it was it was good it was sort of a relief when it airs but then then there's this this big controversy and all the arguments and um i i remember you know people were were rooting for you so much on like survivor the survivor reddit and then immediately following the season it was like well she must have done something wrong to lose um and like how far frustrating was that did did that did that eat at you i would say that in the immediate aftermath i was so relieved and so focused that in 10 days i was going to fiji (laughs) (laughs) and i kind of transferred like all the frustrations i'd had in the year i was like okay i'm transferring that to everybody who watched the show and is frustrated you guys can duke it out thank you for taking this burden for me like that (laughs) genuinely was how i felt so i did miss a lot of that i would say after when i see that it's years later and people are like still talking about it that I find it frustrating because one Michelle one don't like that girl has gone through like I can't imagine the feeling of winning and being constantly torn down Mm. but then in an effort as a backlash to that people will tear me down on things that they have no evidence for and I think it's more frustrating when it's like way later and it comes to you directly in an email like I got emailed the other day and someone was like this is why you suck. And I'm like, that's great. Like, you know what? Whatever. But get over it, A. B, you don't actually... You. I feel like, well, everything that was shown was true on our season of Survivor. I genuinely do. But how can you ever show on television what the vibe is in a room? And call me like New Age, Gugamoga, whatever, I feel energy. But you know when you are in a room of people or on a date and it feels good or it feels bad. And I can't I can't show people on TV or transfer the gut instincts I had throughout that game. And at the end, I can't show people the things that they can't see. So you kind of have to let it go. And it it can be frustrating. Like Michelle and I are fine. Um, I think I have a social game. I think she had somewhat of a strategic game. Do we disagree on the minutia of that? A hundred percent. Like, there are things that Michelle thinks that happened that I'm like, that didn't happen. And there are things I'm sure that I think happened that she's like, nope, but I'm fine with her. And it's just a little frustrating that it becomes like this big controversy. Like, it was a great experience for me. And what I've always said now is that, like, guess what? Michelle and I didn't cast a vote. It's not our fault. 
We just, <laughs> we just did, we just did our best. It's not ties either. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, people, people were very up in arms. They were very emotional about this argument, and it, it, like to be the the subject of that argument, uh, it, it must be a, a, a crazy and surreal experience because people, you know, people will be. I remember, you know, even even in like the the, the patron group for Rob as a podcast, plenty of people on Twitter, on Reddit, all over the place. People were getting in such heated arguments because they felt like, no, no, I'm right about this. I know what happened, and I imagine that that anger gets transferred on to you, and then you just have to be like. You have to be at the brunt end of it. And like, I don't know why you're so angry at me. I don't know what I did to you. I've talked to plenty of people now on on this show about dealing with the the hate of of social media of of audiences and stuff like that. But I feel like you probably more than anyone have experienced uh, like an extreme amount of it. Yeah. And it's also something where like there's a positive side in that I have frustrations. And I do think that like some of the arguments for the people who didn't vote for me were complete like BS for lack of a better term, I finally, like eight months later, watched some of the Jury Speaks videos and three people on that jury spoke like they had been brainwashed robots saying <sighs> the same thing. It was definitely some group think going on there. So like when people get angry about stuff, I'm like, yeah, you can get angry. But like, here's the deal. I do see both sides of it. Like I see why people didn't feel like their relationship was enough with me or wasn't the relationship they needed to vote for me or they didn't see my game. I've acknowledged like this is very complicated. Like a jury is allowed to decide what they value in the game and do that. So yeah, it's super frustrating when I feel like people will also say like, oh, you won't defend your game or, oh, you tore down Michelle. I'm like, I never tore her down. I'm just saying that as a rational person who is there and calm, I might agree with things. I might disagree with them. But either way, I can see where different people are coming from because every person is coming into Survivor from their own history, from their own two shoes, and seeing the game in a different way. And I have worked very hard to put myself in other people's shoes and see why, hey, I didn't like this person. I've even put myself in Scott's shoes, and I see why he was frustrated with me. I wouldn't be frustrated with me, but Scott was frustrated with me. And you know something? If Scott was at the end, I would be frustrated with him. (laughs) So, like, that's the funny thing. Like, Michelle and I, like, yes, we were lucky to get to the end. But, you know, all these other people who were in the game or not in the game, guess what? If you got to the end, I'd be tearing you down or building you up, too. Yeah. That's how we go through life. And it's just (laughs) super frustrating. It's just. uh, And then there's Ty. Like, oh, God, I love Ty. Um, Yeah, it's been tough. And I know. Like, it just, yeah, it's it's really complicated. I mean, some days it's, they'll bogs me down and that I'm like, really, why are we talking about this? But I also do appreciate all the love. Like, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to talk about it. It's just that sometimes it gets, like, to DEFCON 5 when there's no need for it to. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's game. It's not, we're not curing cancer. We're trying to stop North Korea from bombing anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, this was a, a difficult experience. And then obviously, with the, all of the waiting, um, it made it even more difficult. So like, what was the decision to go back and do it again? Like, uh, did did that play a part in it? Or did it make you think maybe, uh, maybe you didn't want to? Uh, how did that decision go? Well, I always want to win. So you have to understand, I hadn't seen any go wrong when that possibility was on the table that I could go back. So I was like flattered. And I still am flattered that I was asked back like that, especially like right after Ko Rong. There was no way I wasn't going to do it. 
I was psyched. I love Survivor. I was also ready to have another experience in it that wasn't co-wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you feel like you had a, a better experience the second time, even though you weren't quite as successful, you, you might say? I would say overall, I enjoyed my first time more. I mean, I know there's a lot of angst, but with every for every low, there's got to be a high and every high you appreciate more if there's a low and that was co-wrong and it was still magical and co-wrong and I have vivid memories of like picking, eating mangoes around like worms and like going out with Ty and collecting like clams and going out with Neil and like cutting open sea urchins and cutting ourselves to eat like just like the sheer nature part of it. I liked that one better. Um, Game Changers was hard because it was 10 days after the finale. Nobody in the community had met me yet because I followed the rules and like didn't go to any events. So I was in this really weird spot of people were like, wait a second, you played really hard. A lot of people thought you could have won in that finale. What is it you do and how do you do it? Plus, there are four people from Korong. So I went into that and it was 10 days after. And I was like in bad shape right off the bat. Sandra like basically told me she wasn't going to work with me, even though I was like, hey, we're both threats. I want to work with you. And she's like, sorry. And I'm like, what? She's like, nothing <laughs> personal. There are four of you here. <laughs> and yeah. And the other, and then I got lucky. I had kind of a similar thing in Game Changers where. I would get lucky enough to get out of trouble. Like we swapped after JT went, but then like never lucky enough to ever get like my feet under me in that this was just sheer luck, the swap. I was super lucky that I did not swap in the first swap where Caleb did. He would, I would have been the one to go because mm -hmm. it was Caleb, Debbie and Ty, I believe on the same, on the new, uh, new mana. Yeah, I think I did, but in the same token, there were nine Nuku in the game at the merge, and they dominated the game. It really was old school in that way. I did not meet any of those nine people until like day 17 or whenever the same swap was. So I, in essence, did not have a pre-merge with nine of the 13 people who were at the merge. That wasn't exactly lucky, Yeah, but it's all good. Align with me and you go home, basically. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was proud of my game. I uh, Zeke and I have joked that I like killed him off and took his spot with Andrea <laughs> and Suri. <laughs> so I think I got to see, like, in some ways, I think I played better in Game Changers, which, and like I, people would say, were you disappointed you weren't shown more? No, I was a journalist and I know what a headline in a story is. And any way you slice it, I was never the headline by nature of where I swapped. And like I like to say, Nuku was a train barreling down the tracks to day 39, and I was just struggling to throw rocks at the train or like derail it in any way so it could slow down and I could catch up because I really was behind. So Game Changers, I wouldn't say it was better, but it like proved to me that I did have some skills. Okay. So that was cool. And I met some cool people. So. Well, yeah. All right, so you get out of Game Changers. Uh, when does it finally feel like Survivor is, like, there's a pause? Because obviously, from Korong, you're waiting, the finale airs, and then 10 days later, you're back into Game Changers. You're waiting again. That season's airing. When does it finally feel like, okay, it's all finally come to some, at least a stop, if not, or at least a pause, if not a stop? Or has it yet? Um... <laughs> I would say it's felt like it was over 
I get today is actually like a big day. Today's a big day. They announced the cast of 35. Yeah. And I'm not seeing a cast knowing that I have a season on tap. Uh, but there are different phases. I came back from Fiji and I was mentally not um, fantastic right away, to be honest. It took a lot of work to get to a better place. It's funny when you get back from these seasons, I'd say it takes like five weeks and then you have this like, and I've talked to other players about this. You have this like very bizarre crash where it takes five weeks to get over like the high of like, I was just living outside for blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh. So like October, September, October last year was really tough for me. Uh, and then it kind of settled down. And then, yeah, it felt like it felt like it ended like a few Wednesdays after the finale. And then today it was big. So, yeah. Uh, well, like you mentioned how it's tough when you get back. Like what what about it is tough? Like um, like do you have trouble like reacclimating uh, to to life or is it is it something else? First, it's physical. Like, I got violently ill for, like, two days, weirdly, like, a week after I got back. And then I was fine. Um, you start to regain weight, and it does not come back in the same way you had it before. I got in insane shape before Game Changers for me, and that was the worst decision I ever made. I was dying on day three. Uh, so it's the it's the physical part. You feel like you can't quite get your body back. And then it's just... It's hard to explain. I was talking to somebody who we were talking about how when you do Survivor, you're, you get to experience everyday life for seven weeks. I mean, because even the pre and post part of it is like intense at like this incredible high that gets normalized. Mm -hmm. And then when you get back, you have to like become comfortable with the fact that normal life is like Survivor's at an 11. Normal life runs at about a four. And like maybe a seven is a high if you go on like an awesome hike or something, but you're never going to reach that 11 again. So mentally you have to like reacclimate. And I, I've said, like I wrote something when the season was over and said that Survivor is like a drug and like it really kind of, I think is that you get hooked on it and it's like an adrenaline rush and then you have to be satisfied that that's not every day, if that makes any sense. Uh, makes total it's sense. It's hard to vocalize, but... Yeah, you go through phases and then like you're always grateful that you did it, but then you get frustrated. And I've had a little frustration after the season that Survivor vocalized this wonderfully for me a couple weeks ago and said it feels like a little piece of your identity was broken off, put into circulation, and you can never have it back. And yeah. I feel that. I do. Like I am looking for a job and I signed up for LinkedIn premium. People have different opinions on LinkedIn premium if that works, but I wanted to see like what was happening. And I started getting like all these messages with people like asking me to sign something for them. And I'm like, I'm looking to get back into my career. Why am I getting survivor requests? Am I ever going to get to be anybody else? So there's all different phases. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's almost as though especially for you who it, it took place over a long period of time it's like you were lifted out of your life and now like it, it did it feel like you almost couldn't really fit back into where you were oh yeah yeah you definitely don't feel like you can totally fit back in um yeah i think it, for me the main lesson in terms of like was that i had to be more true to myself and being in a role that was creative career wise for me and that's um i'm kind of doing things on my own right now um doing my own freelance work and 
trying to find another good fit for the next opportunity that's more creative. Because I realize out there, when you're out there with nothing to entertain yourself, you realize who you really are. So that was one part of the identity, like career-wise. Wow, I really want to be creative. I really want my personality to be part of what I do so I can help somebody else's personality for their brand or their media company be something that's really authentic and compelling. But then it's also like at home, like your friends. I I have some really great people uh, in Boston who were very supportive of me. And I felt misunderstood and kind of distanced myself from people at times. And then the people who like really matter stuck by. And I think it's also frustrating when it's something that's obviously a show and it's entertainment, but there's a part of it that's very intense. And there were moments where I was like, oh, I'm just here for your entertainment. Like, do you realize that this is not fun to deal with at all times? Uh, so yeah, there's that part of it too. You just have to keep it in perspective. And I'm not saying all these things to make people feel like, wow, Aubrey doesn't want to be contacted or Aubrey doesn't appreciate what I say, or I'll leave her alone and never talk to her. It's, it's not that it's just everybody, whether they played survivor or not has something that they deal with. I don't often like to talk about it or complain, but there is another side to having a really intense experience, whether it's survivor or something else. And you always have to keep in perspective that you don't see all the good and bad in experience. And I always see the shades of gray. I'm never like, this is all good or this is all bad. Like there's good and bad in everything. It is such a, a very strange and unique experience. And uh, I think there are obviously going to be a lot of, of difficulties involved with it that I don't know if everybody always is able to recognize because especially with social media now, um, you know, a lot of like former survivor players, they'll get back and they'll, they'll like make jokes on Twitter and it's like, Oh, look at them. Like, you know, they've got a bunch of Twitter followers now, like everything must be going so great for them. Uh, but there's a lot of other, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. That's a big frustration. I would say of how I see a lot of people that I, I think, like, first of all, having done Survivor, I can tell you, quite frankly, I do not know how celebrities do it in our country. <laughs> like, I really don't. Like, I I consider myself a fan of the show above mm. anything. If I could go and play Survivor forever and probably mess up my head and be paranoid all the time <laughs> and not have it aired, I'd be fine with that. Like, I really just did it for the challenge. I like to put myself through rigors, like in the form of survivor of what would be someone else's Iron Man. And a lot of people will assume like, oh my gosh, your life is so great. You're, you're famous. I'm like, I'm not famous. It's a television show and there are 14 episodes. <laughs> like, I'm just a person who got super lucky that my tape was accepted because they needed a girl in glasses from the Northeast. <laughs> and I do keep that in perspective. Like anybody who puts a tape in could be that person in that given year. I, it's like college admissions. You'd go around and they'd say, hey, they need a trumpet player in the orchestra and you play trumpet and you put it in at the right time. Bingo, you made it into that school. It's a crapshoot like that too on Survivor. Like sure, you have to be compelling to a degree, but there are a lot of compelling people who don't get to play. And yeah, I'm just a normal person. Like I have a normal life. I appreciate people who are super interested in my experience and say they related to me. Like I am so grateful for that. So grateful. But it also doesn't mean that other people are entitled to like get something from me all the time. Like there are boundaries, you know, like I'm not going to come up to you and be like, 
Taryn, will you do this for me for free? Will you, will you like, it's like people think that it's your job to entertain them all the time. And I love talking about Survivor, but like the people who show just like a little bit of, I understand you're a normal person. Like, I appreciate it. Like, I really appreciate that. I'm not complaining. Like, I don't want people to not reach out to me, but we need to just be better communicators in general in this world. Yeah. And respect people's boundaries and realize that everybody's a person. Like, Taylor Swift is a person. Katy Perry is a person. Like, I don't get starstruck. And I will tell you, especially after Survivor, I don't. These people deal with all this stuff, too. Yeah. Like just a little taste, like a little taste of having like five minutes of fame, if that's what you call it, on a reality show makes you realize like, oh, my God, I don't know how these people go through it. But I was glad I was a community manager because you are managing comments. And I was glad I'd been a journalist managing comments because that like really, really helped me to know when to engage, when not to engage, when to block somebody and you know something in some ways, I understand why Troy Zan did. Ooh, <laughs> unpopular opinion, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I think I, I'm, I'm sort of sensing uh, a lot of similarities between um, you and Eric Stein. When I talked to Eric, he talked a lot mm -hmm. about how, um, you know, he was America's player in Big Brother, and he really got kind of like, uh, I mean, he got screwed over by production in a lot of ways, but he, he really had the sense of like, it, it really stuck with him and it really stayed with him that like he really felt like disappointed in, in some ways, like he felt proud of what he did on on in, on Big Brother. But he also felt like I want to be able to go back and I want to prove that I can do this. And it, it's something that like um, I he said, like still it, he carries it with him. And I and I, I think um, I think I'm seeing that you still carry a lot of of co-wrong with you, especially. Um, how do you how do you handle that? If you have any suggestions, let me know. Um, <laughs> Maybe talk to Eric. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should talk to him. Um, how do I handle that? It depends on the day or the week. Sometimes I don't think of it. It's nice to have a day when you don't think about Survivor for most of the day. Those happen now, which is nice. Uh, how do you deal with it? I think that I said it in my exit press for co-wrong, but I do believe that. And I have to always remind myself that winning isn't always about winning. Like winning can just be making the most out of like the lessons you learn along the way. And every time you're told no or rejected, that can be the best lesson. Mm -hmm. And like, there was a great quote I saw where someone said for every no, they get something to the effect of, yeah, I found a lot of things that don't work, but I discovered them because they don't work. Doesn't mean I didn't find them. So meaning that like you take, the most you can out of every experience. And like, yeah, I really wanted to win. But I would also say this. I've seen a lot of people think that if they go back and they play Survivor again, it will solve all their problems. It will get them the next job. They will be happy. I can tell you without a doubt that is not the case. The people who went twice are still pining to go back. The people who win don't do so without some scars along the way. Like, I'm not going to speak. I love Sarah. We are good friends. So I'm not going to talk about any of our personal conversations. But she kind of said it to Jeff on stage that she felt bad that she hurt people. And you know what? I relate to that. Like, she knew what she had to do, but she still hurt people. I mean, her life's not perfect either. Michelle's life isn't perfect. So you have to keep in perspective that everyone has their own battle and you can only just take the positive things out of it. And of course, I'm always going to have the fire to win. That's, that's who I am. I didn't go to not play. And just because I'm nice to Michelle, I had someone critique me that I wasn't nasty enough to Michelle. 
It was actually in the comments for Big Brother on YouTube. And the guy was saying, F you, screw you, like you're a loser. And I said, excuse me, sir, but like nobody deserves to have a chance to go on Survivor any more than anybody else. We put in a tape and we got lucky. The jury has the right to decide who they want to win. Do I think I played a winning game? Yes. Would I voted for me? Yes. But what will it serve me going through life being angry? Nothing. It does nothing for me. So it's just being aware that there are lessons and that's the win. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that's something that I've, I've definitely gleaned from, uh, from the people that I've talked to that like a lot of people do, they go on shows like Big Brother or Survivor thinking this is going to fix my life or solve my life or put me on the right track. And if you have that mentality, I think it's going to fail you. You need to be able to look at it in terms of like, this was an experience. It was an experience in my life and I'm going to take from it what I can and leave what I what I shouldn't behind. Um, and I mean, just, I mean, look at Rob himself, right? Like, obviously he went through a very similar uh, experience where like he, you know, he came very close and that he, that ate him up for a really long time, but then look, look what he's turned that into. And like, it's the reason why we're talking right now. Um, so uh, I, I do think there's a lot that still can be taken, even though um, obviously, I mean, if I were in your position too, like I'm super competitive, I'd be, it would eat at me every single Ugh. day. But it can. And I've also like, if there are new players who ask me for input, literally the first thing I'll say to them is, you might have a stigma about therapy. I didn't go before I played Survivor. Go to therapy because it's not about like fixing you because you're broken. It's about coming up with ways to process information and experiences in a healthy way. And I've often said to people, like, if you have anger, bitterness, resentment, you are beating yourself up for something you did or something you didn't do, get it taken care of now. Because you have a very, you could become an alcoholic. Like, I'm not saying that to be funny, but like, I've seen people like mentally spiral as a result of this experience because they don't like take it with enough gravity. Sure, it's a TV show. Sure, you can call us wimps that you don't think like, oh, you guys were on a show. I would kill to do that. But it does have really real effects on people. And you really have to like take care of yourself or it's going to manifest itself in a part of your life that you do not want it to manifest itself. I'm, you will have trouble at home. You will not be good at your job. You will not be focused. You won't take care of yourself. Like take care of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, Jordan, Jordan talked about that too. It, and it, it was very helpful for him to sort of like get him back on track after having, uh, you know, an experience that really took him out of his life. He felt like he wanted to be able to fit back in. Um, but you, you are taking a, a, a sort of different approach where you, you are now uh, looking for a job in LA and, and you've, you're moving in a new direction. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I love Boston so much, so much. I love New England. I'm a New England girl for life. Um, a lot of the opportunities for me in the social media production and strategy uh, in Boston tend to be centered around uh, healthcare because we have a lot of hospitals, uh, finance because there's a lot of like all major cities, a lot of finance places, banks and whatnot, and uh, academia. And I am definitely more of a, I've always been like a creative person, a media person. And those things are very much concentrated in LA and New York. Um, I did live in New York for a year, an agency, jo agency job. It was wonderful, but I am in L.A. because I am attracted to a, the community of creative thinkers. It's time for a new adventure, 
And I'm just trying to navigate this new place and find a media company or a small brand with a personality that can use somebody that has like community building skills, video skills, photography skills, and writing so that they can kind of make their brand sing in terms of storytelling. Like I love to tell stories that are genuine and authentic, whether that's for a brand or a media company, because I think that by sharing stories, we get closer and that might sound hokey, but I really believe that like the best marketing, the best stories are ones where you share the uniqueness of your experience because people don't find connection when you say general things, they find connection in the details. Like Mm -hmm. we talked about Portsmouth, New Hampshire, who would (laughs) ever know? We could grab coffee or have drinks and probably have like five hours of conversation based on that detail. So I like to really get to know the brand, really get to know the story and tell the story that speaks to everyone because it's its own story. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I experienced that a lot. You know, I worked as a, as a, as a marketer, a uh, video producer for a oh, while. Cool. Um, I recently uh, stopped doing that to do this, but um, uh, it, it's, it's very much like, you know, telling stories is very much like a universal language for everyone. It's really what can connect people. Um, and that's always what I try to do. I mean, even when I have a, a guest on this show, I try to like, you know, it's, it, it's very much your story and I want to be able to like facilitate the best way to tell that story so that people can relate. And, um, people have stories of their own, but there are, they are generally very general. Um, and, and as you mentioned, like the, the trick of it is like talk about specifics and get down to like, what, like, what is it to feel this way? Like, and, and you are clearly very good at that. Like, I don't have to work very hard to get you to, uh, tell me all about like the details and like the feelings and, and to dive deep into it. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's very evident that you're good at this. Thank you. I would, yeah, I, I like to pay attention to my surroundings. I remember very strange things, but it makes the memories all the more vibrant i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know so so i mean okay so like you're in this place now where you um you know you're you're still kind of you're not settled anywhere right like you're still looking for the next thing in the next chapter in your life maybe so to speak um what is it like to to be in that position like like you know how are you how are you feeling in this moment are you nervous are you confident like this is the right way to go Uh, My gut tells me this is the right way to go without a doubt, but it is definitely scary to pop into a new place. I know the skills I have. I know the role I want. I want a full-time job at a brand with a personality where I can make it sing or a media company. Uh, That's the right match. So I could even like tweet about a show or tweet about news, whatever that may be. I love to be tweeting about a show. I love doing that for Survivor. But I know that. I'm firm on that. But it is super scary when you're not settled and you're not in your routine and you're staying in different places. And like sometimes you have a stovetop to make hot food <laughs> and sometimes you don't. So I'm very much drawing on my Survivor skills. Uh, and I'm determined. Like I'm not going home unless I absolutely have to until I find a full-time job. Because I'm not going home. This is where I'm moving. I am a determined person and that's it. But yeah, I mean, it's not job hunting is not really that fun. No. (laughs) So I love talking to people. I love networking with people. I love meeting people, but it's just tough. And it's also like a whole other language out in L.A. 
It really is. It's a whole other industry. It's a different personality. So just trying to navigate that, like I'm kind of using my survivor skills to kind of sit back, gather all the information and make the moves that I think are the right moves. But yeah, anxiety. Yep. That's been kind of part of my life, but uh, it's been nice in that I do have a lot of friends here. I have a really good friend from New Hampshire here. I have a friend from Brown who is here. I have a lot of survivor people who are here. So it's been really nice to kind of see that there is a network of awesome people here. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you are going to go home to go to Thanksgiving at Kevin Kevin's house from Big Brother 19, right? I love Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> There's a movie. It's not, it's like, I think it's a very dark movie, actually. It's called We Need to Talk About Kevin. I think it's about a school shooter. But I always am like, we need to talk about Kevin. Be <laughs> nice to that man. Be nice to that man. I love him. I remember that movie. Uh, I don't remember watching it, but I remember the name of it. So Yeah, it's very distinct for some reason. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm going home to Kevin. I uh, I need you to have all the people from BB19 on the Terran show because I want answers. <laughs> okay. We can turn it into the interrogation show. <laughs> uh, see, that's the thing. Uh, you know, I'm sure that like, I know, like so far, all of the people I've had are like people that I, I love and I think are, are like really awesome people. So it's like very easy for me to be like super nice and not like have to play hardball. But it's like, if I do Ugh. get somebody who's like, you know, who people know. want me to question. Like, what do I do then? I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I can't. I don't know. This is not the interrogation show. This is the Terran I show. I know. I know. It's hard, though. It's going to be tough. No, I think once time kind of goes by and people have some insight, if you haven't been watching BB19, I, I know the B word bullying is controversial when used in the reality TV context, but there is a lot of bullying going on this season. And I think once people get out of Big Brother and see from an outside perspective what we were seeing, I think we might see a little remorse. I oh, think yeah. They're all terrible people. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So part of the new direction that, you, that you're that you in, uh, at least from my perspective, uh, is this this podcast, right? Odd with Aubrey. Is that, would you say that's, that's correct? Or is this like not really in that same area? No. Yeah. So I did start a podcast called Odd with Aubrey. And I've always attracted characters in my life, quirky people. And I, after Survivor ended, like I wanted to take the attention off of me being a Survivor player and the person who is the entertainment, so to speak, because I really love interviewing people and I really love making connections with people and getting their voices to be heard. I love nothing more than when you help amplify a voice that wouldn't otherwise be heard. So I am talking to characters, um, that I've met for my life and that I am meeting because I just love to know why people are the way they are. And I think everyone has a story and I've had some really cool people on. I did talk to Troyzan. He was on Survivor, but we talked about outer space <laughs> and he is one kooky goof. I love that guy. I know it was a little rough for him this season. He kind of got some flack, but like Troyzan really goes through life with a wide eyed childlike wonder, like looking at the stars from his jungle whether he is clothed or not on any <laughs> given evening. Like, he is a great guy. Um, I talked to a competitive eater who is a Survivor fan who, like, who does, who, like, MCs competitive eating? That is a thing. And Mike Sullivan is awesome. And <laughs> he, I learned about that. I talked to um, the psychologist or the therapist from Famously Single. I talked to someone who is in social media who I'm friends with. So, 
everybody's got a story. And I just like people who want to share their stories. And I'm always going to be a journalist at heart, no matter what I do. And I think that's what makes me interested in people and makes me want to connect with them and tell their stories. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if anyone is a fan of, of this podcast, and like, hopefully you are, since you are listening, uh, I feel like th this is a very obvious connection here. They're very, it sounds like a very similar idea that like, uh, you yes. know, we're and I, I feel the very same way. Like, uh, I love interviewing people. I love getting their story. I, I honestly, I like, it's it is the most exciting part of my week every week, um, which I guess isn't saying that much considering I'm covering Big Brother every day, uh, which can be a bit of a downer on occasion. But it is very much the highlight of my week every week when I get to not only talk to somebody and, and like get to have uh, like awesome conversations with people that I feel like, you know, just like the the genuine uh, conversation is something that I don't. I don't think I, I get to experience that often, but now all of a sudden it's like every week I get to like have a new, awesome, genuine conversation with somebody. And then I, I just get so excited about like, oh, now people are going to listen to it. And, and like, I, I get, you know, it's going to start conversations and they're going to be like, this is, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed this part of it or this part of it. And, uh, it's just, it's been so much fun. And I feel like, uh, you know, anybody that likes this is, will obviously like yours. Uh, you know, I think that you, uh, have a, a really cool concept of like, Finding out about things. I think I saw your most recent one was like you learned about like wrestling. Um, am I yes, right? Yes, I that? did. <laughs> yeah. A friend who was a barista wanted to be a professional wrestler. It's a little girl training with people from the WWE and jumping on the ropes. Yeah, it's cool. It's like real life glow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought of when I. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, make sure you check that out, everyone. Thank you. Uh, so how, how has that been going? Have, have you been like, do you feel like that's something you want to like put a lot of, uh, like time and effort in? Like this is, might be like a, like a, a main stay or is this kind of like a side project that you're just kind of enjoying as you go along? I would love to do podcasting like full time. That would be awesome. But I mean, there are realities in life, so I am yeah. putting as much energy into it as I can while I am looking um, for other social media writing marketing gigs. So yeah, it's a focus as much as I can as I'm on the road. So, but it's going to be here to stay. I think it's something that's very important to me. Journalism was my entire identity before I was survivor Aubrey. So it is really important to me to be in that role of story teller and facilitator. Yes. So it's staying, it's staying. <laughs> Well, okay. So tell me the story of, uh, like where you see your life going from here. Like, where do you feel like, where do you, where do you want your direction to be, uh, moving forward from now? I want to open a dog bar. <laughs> uh, well, Melissa, the, I talked to Melissa last week and she wanted to be a dog. So. Oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> Honestly, like in the perfect world, I'd live in Costa Rica in Monteverde and have an art studio like <laughs> yeah. I went to Costa Rica in February if you have not gone to that country please go to that country it is unbelievable I have never met people who took so much pride in the natural world that is their home like that sounds so hokey but I'm talking about like taxi drivers would know they'd be like I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, the mandible toucan, it's over there. Do you see it? I'm like, we're going 80 on a road. How do you see it? How's it gonna hear you? Like, I love that place. But anyway, how do I see my life going? I would have a marketing job that I love. I would pursue my crayon art and podcasting and writing on the side. And I wanna do a lot of hiking. 
I want to do a lot of traveling when I can and just have new adventures so that can funnel into my work. And I want to work hard. I want, I want to work hard. I want a routine. I want to meet cool people. I don't ever do anything half-ass. So when I am in, I am in. And I'm just like really want to have a job that I throw myself into and like cultivate creative Aubrey every day for myself and for the place and places where I work. So I can't tell you like five years down the road right now. (laughs) Like I want to be in California. I think that's where I will be. But right now I kind of just need to get like a a little bit of fire so that can light. And I think it will all fall from there. You seem very driven. Like, uh, you know, even throughout like on Survivor, obviously now, you know, uh, just the way that you're talking about this, it Mm. seems like I get the sense from you that you very much are just like, you're not going to take no for an answer. You are going to make this happen. I am not going to fail. No, I'm not. No. And I'm like, when I'm serious, like I'm not really a bullshit artist. No, I'm not a bullshit artist. Why am I saying really? (laughs) I'm not. Like, if I want it to happen, I want it to happen. And, like, I want it to happen now. Like, I like action. I like to do. Yes, I'm a thinker, but I like to do. And if you're not doing, what are you doing? You're just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Nothing's going to be handed to you. You have to get it yourself. And you're very lucky if you find people along the way who want to help you and you help them back and you have a partnership. You really, wow, this sounds like, oh, we're all alone on this pale blue dot. <laughs> but like, you really just have to get it yourself. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And I don't want to be someone who let my life pass, pass by. And then I'm like, oh, that happened to me. I don't want to feel like life is happening to me. I want to make life happen. And I will say, I've heard from some survivor players, there can be a feeling that like life happens to you when it's over. In that your image was on the show. And you did it, but it's like that little piece of you that was taken off into circulation and you don't have control of anymore. You have to make an active effort to make life happen. And I think that's also fuels my drive. I've always been driven, but even more, like I want to be in the driver's seat of my life. I know who I am. I know what I like to do. I know how and the kind of places I want to work. So I just want to make that happen. Awesome. I, I, I honestly, I have no doubt that you're going to make it happen. Just I can tell by the way you're talking about it. Well, thank you. But I will say I have a hard time finding mentors in my life. Do you? Do you have any mentors? Well, I guess I guess Rob uh, is, is you my, do, the mentor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never I really had one before. So hard. Yeah. And I wonder, I'm like, I just want, I would love to have like a mentor because I love my older people or like just people who have more experience in something. And for some reason, I think I come off as like equipped enough that I wouldn't need help. But everybody needs help. Everyone needs help. Yeah. The person in your life who you think needs no help or is the person you always look up to if you have that person, whether it's your parent or your coach or whoever it is, stop and say to them, how are you doing? Do you need any help? How are you feeling? Because sometimes the people that come off as strong are the ones who are hiding that they're not feeling the best. So just a fun little reminder for everyone out there. Yeah. All right. So this has been so much fun. Uh, you, you've you been so great. Thank you so much for, for opening up in, in the ways that you did. I feel like you you really you really opened up. You were genuine about like really like what somebody goes through when you're on Survivor. I think it, it goes so far beyond just being on an island and playing a game uh, and being on TV. Like there are so many different things and, and it's I think it's cool to explore. Uh, maybe not cool, but interesting to explore um, what those things are. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity, Taryn. Well, you're I love what you're doing. It's oh, awesome. You.
Uh, all right, so that is our episode for this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, who has joined us today. Um, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. It's The Taran Show. That's T-A-R-A-N. Um, you can also find it on robhaswebsite.com. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Armstrong Taran. Uh, Aubrey, let me know how, or let, sorry, let the audience know how they can find you on social media and your podcast and all of it. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Aubrey Brocco with no E in my first name. Sorry to be obnoxious, but <laughs> you will not find me if you put an E in there. Uh, you can visit my website, AubreyBrocco.com. And I put up my podcasts on oddwithaubrey.com. So feel free to get in touch and you can always shoot me an email at Aubrey at AubreyBrocco.com. So I'd love to hear from you. So thank you, Taryn. Yes, thank you. Uh, all right, so that's that's all we've got for you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will see you next time. Bye. Terrence asking questions. Terrence finding out. Terrence looking deeper. That's what it's all about. It's the Terrence Show. So you and me. Show.